0: Hi, and welcome to the Trusted Executive Podcast. I'm here with Dr. John Blakey, the founder of the Trusted Executive Foundation, which helps CEOs and leaders across all sectors around the globe create a new standard of leadership defined by trustworthiness. John's work has been featured in Forbes, BBC News, HuffPost, and the Sunday Times. So welcome, John.
1: Good afternoon, David. Delighted to be here again
0: with you and the viewers and listeners. Yes, we're at number seven. I can hardly believe it's seven out of nine. Now, whether you're new or whether it's your second, third time or wherever, you probably know the idea of this podcast has helped you as a listener gain a practical understanding of the potential benefits of the trusted executive model to you, taking you through a deep dive with each of the nine leadership habits which underpin this model. Now, as you say in the book, John, you didn't just dream up these nine habits over a glass of red wine. They're a product of six years of evidence-based research at Aston Business School for your doctorate, involving over 500 board-level leaders, and with deep passion, you offer the business world an academically rigorous and relevant answer to the question, how do I do trust, and why does it matter? So, John, from your research as an introduction for those listening, why should they care about trust, and in a nutshell, what did you discover in your research?
1: Yeah, why should you care about trust? Trust is the one thing that changes everything, as Kobe said. And uh, there are many, many academic research papers that will document the benefits of trust on anything from innovation and creativity to bottom line profitability to employee engagement to customer loyalty. Uh, it really is a magic wand and therefore um, a magic wand that is increasingly, I think, critical to having the license to lead in the 21st century that you lead with this currency of trust rather than the currency of power. In the research, um, the research really highlighted um, that building high-trust cultures does start at the top, that the biggest single factor in building a high-trust culture is the behavior of the CEO and the senior leadership team. So the more senior you are in an, an organization, the more your behavior matters in terms of that role modeling and leading by example. The other thing that uh, the research highlighted was that CEOs, on average, regard themselves as 29% more trustworthy than do the people that they lead. <laughs> so we're probably not as good at this as we think we are. And um, I think that highlights the importance that you know for us to really get to grips with this word and really understand what makes for trustworthy leadership. Because if we can, if we can measure it, if we can pin it down, then we can master it. And I think that's going to be a challenge facing all modern leaders in the coming months and years.
0: Mm, Thank you, John. Yes. And I do sense having gone through already six of the nine habits that each of one we would looked at has really had a deep essence to it. And I think today we're going to habit number seven, which is actually really interesting. It's choosing to evangelize. But before we dive into that habit, um, as those listening may know, the nine habits fall under three pillars. So we've looked at the pillar of ability and the pillar of integrity. And today we're going to a really interesting one. And this is the pillar of benevolence, one which we should perhaps not very often discuss. And I know in your book you talk about it's time to rehumanize the workplace with benevolence. So could you give us an introduction to the third pillar? Because I have a sense it's really important.
1: Yeah, I often talk about benevolence, the third pillar as the new kid on the block. <laughs> Um, because I think, you know, most of us who've been in leadership for any length of time, we know about the pillar of ability, you know, we know it's expected of us to be competent at what we do. Um, and we know about integrity, we know about ethics and values, we might not always um, step up to the plate, you know, as much as we would like on those pillars. But we know about them as concepts and aspirations. But I think the p- pillar of benevolence is different, because when I was pursuing my leadership career, in the 80s and 90s with companies like Bridges Gas and Cabaret Sweps, we didn't do benevolence. You know, um, it, it was really an optional extra that you brought, brought to your work because you were a human being, but you didn't typically need it in that industrial model, that profit-driven model. But I think in the modern age, in the social age, all of our stakeholders now are expecting that benevolence. And what that benevolence is, is um, common human care, compassion, kindness. Um, it basically means that we want to know that you care. Uh, we want to feel that you care in order that for us to trust you and to trust your brand. And I think this this benevolence is, is the new kid on the block. I, I say I never went on the introduction to benevolence for senior leaders course, uh, but I fully expect in the coming years, we are going to be invited to go on those courses. And we are going to need to master benevolence in the same way as we've mastered ability and integrity.
0: Absolutely. And I think for me, we've spoken before, I think on the podcast, how we probably both grew up through our, um, you know, in our leadership sense in very much perhaps a male patriarchal system and i really see perhaps this side is more calling on the the feminine aspect and by that i don't just mean women i actually believe that everyone has both masculine and feminine characteristics and what one of my mentors said to me david was actually this means with masculine and feminine that everyone has the ability to be both strong and caring and so this this aspect of benevolence, I think you mentioned it in the book that you link part of it into emotional intelligence, which obviously we're seeing coming into the workplace. And as you said, how it's concern for the well-being of others. And we know, or I know, or I own it for me. You know, sometimes it was, can I get to the top of the pile? And it doesn't really matter. So this, this has a, as you said, a very, um, it's time to not just rehumanize the workplace, but really embody that and live that. And I think people can tell, can't they, John, if you're being sincere around this 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 um, this pillar of benevolence. It's not something I don't think you can play. Perhaps in the past, we had charismatic leaders who feigned some sort of benevolence. But I think people get it as to whether you're being genuine or not around this.
1: Yeah, and part of that is is the transparency that is afforded these days by social media and technology. So if you're trying to fake benevolence, um, if you're trying to put that veneer of benevolence uh, on top of an otherwise untrustworthy approach, it's much easier for that to be exposed. Uh, and, and I think people are quite ruthless with exposing that these days because they're tired of the faking of it, they want, they want the solid oak of benevolence, not, not the thin veneer um, that is, is easily scratched, uh, you know, and uh, a millimetre thick. They, they want to know that this is uh, rooted and, uh, and solid. And, uh, you know, I hope that these three habits that we're going to talk about under this pillar will give people, again, a practical map for how to build that benevolence so that it's equally as strong as the integrity and the ability pillars.
0: Right, it's wonderful. Now let's kick off then on this uh, this habit number seven, which is uh, choosing to evangelize. I'm sure the listeners like me are really curious about this one because evangelize can be quite a trigger word for, for a lot of people who might think you know, excuse my vernacular, going to, you're going to push something down people's throat, tell them what to do, you're going to evangelize them. It, mm. Sometimes it's not had a, had a good press. Mm. now also, as we say, each habit has choosing, so it's choosing to evangelize. So, again, let's get to the bottom of this. What does this habit, choosing to evangelize, really mean, John? And what benefits does it provide for an organization, and its leadership team, and members of staff?
1: Yeah, you're right that this word evangelize can be a, a trigger word. It's it, it's it's a provocative word. Um, but for me, it was the right word to describe this habit that emerged from the research. Because the root of the word evangelize actually comes from a, a Greek word, um, euangelion, which is spread the good news. Um, euangelion, um, it, 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 it often evangelizes thought of now as a religious word. Mm -hmm. because a lot of the great evangelists were leading religious faiths. But it's actually at its heart, it's about spreading the good news, whatever that good news is about, whatever the mission is, whatever the vision, whatever the inspiration. Um, And one of the quotes that I use around, around this habit is that Guy Kawasaki wrote his article for Harvard Business Review, The Art of Evangelism. And in that he said evangelism, in the social age, evangelism is everyone's job. And I think what he means is that in this world of social media and 24-hour news cycles, if we don't get on the front foot and spread the good news about business and about our business and about our services and contribution, then we will drown in the sea of cynicism and negativity that is being spawned around us. And I think in the past, we were able to take a more passive view on this habit. But interestingly, in the research for senior leaders, for CEOs and top leadership teams, this habit actually came out as the number two habit of all nine habits. Number one habit was, was about honesty, which you might expect. Mm-hmm. But I was surprised that the habit of evangelizing came out as the second most important habit of the nine when it comes to inspiring trust as a CEO or a senior leader. So I think this is telling us that we can't, uh, expect other people to do that spreading the good news for us we have to embody it as leaders we have to role model it and of course many of the um you know the current uh, gurus uh, you know think of simon Sinek. start with why we well, start with why is effectively all about evangelizing it's you know know your purpose know your mission um reach into people's hearts before you reach into their heads um and evangelizing is all about reaching into people's hearts before you reach into their heads and and in that way you create that commitment um, that drives you know productivity engagement uh, people going the extra mile so I think committed believers that believe in your mission and your purpose uh, are worth much much more than uh, inscripted you know conscripted sort of transactional um, employees that are just ticking a box you know th- this is where we get that extra, um, engagement and productivity through this habit of evangelizing.
0: <clears throat> yes, and, and that wonderful. I do agree about the Simon Sinek when he looked at really the key aspect is why are we doing this and linking it into purpose? And you probably know I'm connected with, uh, with Blueprint for Better Business here in the UK which specifically looks at that with big organizations, getting behind their why, their purpose, how are they embodying it, how are they living it. Um, But I'm hearing at this point, I've got to say, no, I can hear the audience saying, ask him this, ask him this. (laughs) And it's really this, because I think leaders can be charismatic. They can be passionate about something. But in my language, it can be delivered without the authenticity. It's delivered with spin. So actually, and we've seen this in the political, whatever your political party is, we've seen this in the political scene where people are passionate, they really have a strong why, but then it comes to light that actually it was spin, it wasn't authentic. So, yeah. so how do you, and it was manipulative, some people yeah. would say. So yeah. how does that apply to business? How can you support, how can a leader actually do this with passion and integrity as opposed to passion and spin or manipulation?
1: Yes, yeah, that's no, a great point, David, because the opposite habit you know, I often talk about the habits of power and the habits of trust, and that every habit of trust has an equal and opposite habit of power. So you, if you take the habit of honesty, then it's very easy to think, oh, yeah, the opposite of honesty is dishonesty. And that's, that's the habit of power. The opposite habit of evangelizing is that word manipulation that you used. The habit of power is to manipulate. The habit of, evangel- of, of trust is to evangelize. Now, w- what is the difference I think, again, you use the word um, about integrity. This is why we have to look at these nine habits holistically. If the only habit I focus on is evangelize, 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 and I don't pay attention to the habits of integrity, be honest, be open, be humble, then that evangelizing is going to tip over into manipulation over a period of time. So this is why the the, the holistic nature of the model is what keeps us um, in balance that we need to pay attention to all nine habits and evangelizing is, is an important habit, but it's only one of the nine habits in the model.
0: Mm, yes, I, I really like that holistic nature and I do get that because you know as we've been going through, well, it's now, we're now on the seventh habit and we typically have a, set, a section in the moment when we look at how they're related, but well, they certainly are related and, and they, do, they do work with each other and obviously that is part of the model as well. So yes, I actually can absolutely see that and I get that. And actually one thing I heard the other week because I happened to listen to some Tony Robbins and I thought of this habit because... Being It can be cultural, John, because being British, or I'll own it for myself, Mm. I can feel a little bit squirmy in evangelising about what I'm doing and how good it might be and and sharing the good news about my consultancy, my work. But Tony Robbins said something which has helped me kind of, is helping me to turn this around because he actually said, actually, you are here to serve, but you do a disservice if you don't talk about why you're here and what you have to offer. Mm. And I just thought that was so powerful because sometimes I think evangelise can be almost not quite British how wonderful and what's happening. We're actually kind of saying, I'm really passionate about making a difference in your life. If This resonates with you. Come and explore this. But if I don't evangelise, then people won't know that this service, this company, this organisation is here. As you said, it's everyone's job then, everyone. And I love that because one of the most powerful things I've seen, or I note, having done my MBA at Warwick and loved services management, looked at the whole of the organization, is I like the fact that wherever you touch an organization, you get a sense of the heartbeat of that organization. That's an excellent organization for me. So if everyone is in touch with the why, why they're here, why they're doing this, and they're passionate about it in an authentic way, that for me has a multiplier effect across the organization. And I'm linking that back to... The working with this trust, you know, the the detective trust model also has this same multiplicative effect, I think.
1: Yeah, and I think we have to remember, as I think we talked about in the previous podcast about being humble, that these two habits are next to each other in the model. Um, And it reminds us that we evangelize on behalf of the mission. We don't evangelize on behalf of the self. Mm -hmm. So I hope that when people are listening to me on these podcasts, I hope that they're hearing that I'm passionate about trust and that I want to talk about trust, I want to write about trust, I want to shout from the rooftops about trust, but I'm not leading with John Blakey. I'm leading with trust. Yes, you know, I am the person who wrote the book, you know and, and so you know there's a point at which the two come together. But I think I hope that people you know are hearing um, you know a passionate vision around the mission of trust rather than a passionate vision around the mission of of, of John Blakey.
0: Mm. And there's one further point I want to bring out, because I thought it's very relevant to the leaders listening today. And that is, as you said, you, know, you can choose to evangelize. But one thing you say in the chapter on this is you speak about actually the importance of relating to stakeholder challenges first. Because I am guess you're saying if you jump in and evangelize without first understanding where they're coming from, then perhaps this habit has can fall over.
1: Yes. Yeah. I was working actually with a a chief executive last week um, in a coaching session. And that organization, um, they just announced a takeover of of that organization. And um, the chief executive could sense that the organization was coming to terms with the impact of that announcement. And that there was a lot of uh, fear and trepidation and people worried about losing things that they valued in the organization through through this takeover. And we were talking about the importance of respecting that period, acknowledging that, accepting it, and not rushing too quickly to announce the new vision of the promised land before people have actually processed and come to terms with Mm -hmm. the nature of the change. So I think uh, as evangelists, as people spreading the good news, we need to again understand the need to get alongside people, um, as as they say in NLP terms, to to pace them lead. That pacing people, getting alongside them, walking a mile in their shoes, empathizing with them, which again is part of these habits of trust, other habits of trust. That that's often important to lead with with that before coming in with the great, grand, new, exciting vision. And, and I do work with a lot of leaders who are trying to calibrate that more carefully um, these days in order to make sure they don't do they don't go too quick into this habit before they've really paced where people are at and built a little bit of that bedrock of trust before they, they come in with the, the latest exciting, world-changing vision.
0: Mm. And something's just come to me, John, actually, that this habit choosing to evangelise, we've spoken about, we're sharing the good news. But I just had a thought that perhaps, I mean, almost every business goes through some difficult challenges, some difficult times, and let's choose one. There might be a situation where redundancies are happening and we spoke earlier about choosing to evangelize is to rehumanize the workplace, to have concern for the well-being of others. So bizarrely, choosing to evangelize may well be really thinking deeply about how am I sharing this news? In which way am I doing this? Um, because I've heard instances of where it's been happened and people have said, you know, the way actually I was made redundant really honored me. And they continue to evangelize the company outside their employment because they felt really honored, even though they left, they understood why and they felt the decision was was a fair and handled in the correct manner
1: yeah yeah and, and again i think um the other habits come in don't they? being kind you know um uh, if there are negative things happening like redundancies then the way you do them um often shows that that habit of of, of being kind and respecting the dignity of the individual um and that that will maximize the the possibility that that, that people will still want to spread the good news about your brand and and your culture mm. so i think uh, we're looking at as i say how these how these um, habits interact and one of the things i've noticed in the lockdown you know and in the in the pandemic there have been times when um pe- leaders have have needed to empathize with the difficulties of the current situation and then there have been other times when it's the time to paint a picture of what the brave new world is going to look like and really sort of um picking the right time and the right place to know uh when to uh do that empathizing versus when to do the evangelizing i think is something uh, for us to to really um reflect on and uh, and be careful with in our leadership particularly in times of crisis particularly when um you know there is uh, stress and and hardship and, and and difficulties that people are experiencing we have to just be careful with this with this habit but i still think it's important and i still think people need people need to hear and feel that evangelizing um but we just have to measure it carefully against the other aspects of the nine habits
0: Mm, yes uh, i agree with that i think that's a really good point so i'm guessing that those listening are probably getting some sort of sense of what's choosing to evangelize may mean, but perhaps they're curious from a practical perspective of how how have executives actually use this leadership habit to make a real difference in their organization. So we come to the part of the podcast where I've recorded a short interview with Fiona Furman, the communications manager from NAHL Group, and they have embedded the trusted executive model in their organization. So we're going to hear from Fiona now and how they've used the habit choosing to evangelize. And as I always say, I know you haven't heard this, John, so I look forward to your response afterwards. So once again, I'm with Fiona Furman, the communications manager with NAHL Group, a group of consumer legal businesses, including National Accident Helpline. And as an organization, NAHL are using the trusted executive framework to empower the way they work and serve their customers. Now, today we move into the third pillar of trustworthiness, that of benevolence, the extent to which we walk our talk. And we move on to the seventh leadership habit, choosing to evangelize. So, Fiona, I'm really interested to hear, how have you used the seventh leadership habit, choosing to evangelize within your organization to make a real difference?
2: Once we started working um, with the trusted executive, we identified that evangelising was certainly an area where we where we could where we could make some improvements, um, evangelising about um, our work and who we are and what we do, but also um, about our culture. Um, we're very, very proud of our culture um, in, in all of the businesses at NHL Group, and um, they've all got very positive, um, dedicated, driven cultures, um, but also friendly and caring. And so um, one of the ways that we started to do that um, was to look for some external validation, which is sometimes a little bit easier, isn't it, than kind of banging your own, your own drum. It's kind of you know, always a bit easier to, to see if somebody else can can tell you that you've done a good job. And so... Um, we started engaging with um, with things like the um, in uh, Investors in People program, where um, now two of our businesses are gold standard. We have one that's at silver standard, and we also have engaged with the Times. Uh, well, what was the Times 100? But the the uh, the top the top 100 businesses. And another way is to kind of be a little bit more evangelistic internally as well. So um, and, and and I think part of the way that we recruit against our values is that we tend to employ people with a natural level of humility, which can, again, make it quite difficult to be able to to kind of evangelise about the work that we're doing. But going back a little ways to sort of 2015, the government announced some enormous, enormous regulatory changes to the personal injury um, uh, business overall. And that was going to really, really impact um, our business. So for the last six years, we've been re-engineering that side of our business to be able to respond to to that change and the deadlines kept moving so it's going to go live here and then it, it- didn't, and it's going to go live now, and then it didn't, and we're, we're coming to the position now where uh, we're just weeks away from, from that going live, and um, what we've identified, because we started working on it so early, I think there's quite a few um, other businesses who perhaps kind of thought, well, well, we'll leave it and see what happens, whereas we've been very, very much on the, on the front foot about it, and as I said, it's completely re-engineered our entire business to be able to deal with, with that change. And one of the things that we're doing now, it started off as an internal project, but I think we'll probably um, be taking it in um, external, is to kind of talk about how ready we are. You know, as a business, we've worked so incredibly hard. And, um, and so uh, I'm putting together a video at the moment where some of the key people involved in that project um, are sending me little videos of them telling us that just saying that they're they're ready, do whatever it is they would normally do. So I've got people hanging upside down in gyms going, I'm ready. You know, I've got people at the top of mountains on bikes saying, I'm ready. And we're going to be sending that out to our people so they can see that we've done this amazing work over this last six years and that we're now coming to the culmination of that work and that we are, we are so ready um, that we're not kind of worried about it because we've we've done all of this all of this front work, um, and we'll obviously be then sharing that externally as well, so that other people can see that we're not a business that waits for things to happen to it and then kind of thinks, oh gosh, how are we going to handle this now? We saw the kernel of what was happening very very early on, and have been on a six-year journey to make sure that our business is sustainable.
0: And finally, we always like to just dig a little deeper. So as you've been working with Evangelise, what for you has been a personal insight or a personal growth moment through using the choosing to evangelise leadership habit?
2: So I think really what what I've learned um, through looking at evangelising through a trusted executive is that evangelising isn't about being full of yourself. And that's where sometimes that tension between humility and um, evangelising comes from. I know that when we talk about um, being humble, I know John loves that quote from C.S. Lewis about how humility isn't about thinking less of yourself, it's about thinking of yourself less. Mm. And in a way, I think that evangelising isn't about Puffing yourself up, but um, oftentimes it's about shining the light on other people and about what they've done. Uh, and uh, the, certainly, from a business perspective, you can evangelise about your business by evangelising about the work of your people and about how your people have have done an amazing job. And I think that's really been that's really been an important an important one um, uh, for me. And and also just this sense that if we really truly believe. In how good our businesses are, and we absolutely should if we're, you know, committed to them and we, you know, we're choosing to work for them, then we shouldn't really have any problem with. Evangelizing about that work, um, and I think sometimes we're very reticent. And uh, and I think really, just about it's just about having that belief and to say, no, I I absolutely believe in what my business does and the way it chooses to do it and the way it manages itself and the way that it, it behaves and the work that it does. And so I'm absolutely going to talk about that. And I think um, that that's where I've helped to in in my own head. That's really helped to balance the two out for me. Yeah. Thank
0: you so much for your sharing, Fiona. Look forward to hearing from you next time. And let's uh, hear what John has to say about this. But thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yes, indeed, John. I'm looking forward to your comments on what uh, Fiona shared there.
1: Yeah, as always, it's great to hear um, somebody talking about being on the front line, working with with these habits. And what I picked up from um, Fiona's talk about evangelizing there is, you know, that point about um, we tend to assume that evangelizing is me evangelizing about myself. But she talked about, you know, the idea of awards, That you can get independent bodies evangelizing Mm. about you yes you have to apply often for those um, that recognition but you know isn't it great when other people shine the light on you and she also talked about our ability as leaders our opportunity to shine the light on other people in the business or other people in our teams who are doing great work um so you know that um pouring that sort of attention and recognition onto others is also a great example of evangelizing. So I think it, it, it helps us understand that this habit comes in many different variations and, and that we need to find the one that works for us. I was also uh, very impressed with, with Fiona's um, t- um, talk about the I'm Ready uh, campaign that you know they spent right. six years. You know, and, and you see, again, if I think of the other habits, they know that they've delivered. I mean, habit number one is deliver. They know they've worked hard. They know that they're going to deliver. And so there is substance behind uh, their spreading the good news. It's not spin. It's not hype. They know they've put the hard work in, that they deserve um, that position. And you see, one of the things we have to realize with the habit of evangelizing is if we we don't evangelize um, with the substance of the rest of the habits, we leave the space open. Uh, for others to evangelize who might not have that substance, might not have that hard work, where it might be more spin um, and and froth. And so we don't really want to leave the space open um, for that um, risk. Um, So it it does bring the onus back to us that if we've worked hard, uh, if there's that integrity behind what we do and that passion, then finding our voice, I think, is an important responsibility because. We've
0: earned that right. Mm, certainly have. I certainly have. And also interviewing Fiona and listening back to her again, one word that, that came to my mind that, that is often perhaps sidestepped because, oh, you, you can't be that, is there's a lot of um, this evangelised from, from the perspective, there's a lot of pride in a really sort of positive sense, pride in actually we've committed, we've done this job. And what just came to me actually is, I did some consultancy with the Britannia Building Society, and it may well be so at the time. Their mission was proud to be mutual. They're a mutual building society, but that proud had a real sense of pride, a sense of we're on a mission, we're making a difference. And I think that really came through with for Fiona. And we're proud of what we've done, how we've worked together, what we've achieved here. It's something to really honour ourselves on as others and really as you said evangelize that and together I think what's also coming through when you look at the habits for me is really you know Fiona said has said this you know how much she enjoys working at this organization because this energy this passion is allowed to flow through the business and I, I have a sneaking feeling that actually the trusted executive model actually enables that because it puts something in John which is really powerful really kind of solid and people go yes actually as you said you know we are delivering we are making a difference we do have a pride in what we're doing and we want to share this with others because it's important
1: yeah one of the behaviors that we that we measure under this habit there are three behaviors that we measure one of them is um you know does the leader have a passionate and inspiring vision that they communicate regularly um, another behavior is, um, does the leader bounce back quickly from disappointments and setbacks because great evangelists are very resilient? But the third behavior we we look at and ask the question around is, is it obvious that the leader loves what they do? Mm-hmm. You know, do, is it obvious to others that you love what you do? And I think when we listen to Fiona talking there, we started to pick up that she loves what she does. She loves what NHL does. And that's infectious. It's very, very infectious um, when you're working with people who love what they do, and so um, it is. Uh, I say uh, um, a very um, hard thing to, uh, to to imitate or fabricate, you know. But it comes through very clearly if you're working alongside people who, who genuinely love what they do.
0: It is in the in my old style MBA language. It really gives this. You know, it's um, what they call it, and it becomes kind of like a core competence, a competitive advantage, because it takes time to develop and work with, and it requires commitment to do this. You know, <laughs> the trusted executive isn't just one read through the book and I'm done. It's <laughs> how am I then choosing to embody this? I think you mentioned something which feels really important, and this is how am I embodying? Sorry, how am I embodying this model for our organization? Because I have a sense that each organization can take their own flavor, as you said, of the different habits, and still be authentic and honest and open, and you know, and really fully present with them, but actually make a use of it in their own way. Because I think that's so powerful. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think everyone needs to think about where they are in the business cycle um, and depending upon the sector they're in, what the products and services are they're working with, they will find different nuances in terms of applying these habits. And of course, one of the things we've talked about today is about the cultural norms that you find around these habits. One of the things I've found you know, over the last five years uh, delivering workshops on the nine habits in different parts of the world is that as you go west, the habit of evangelizing seems to get stronger. Mm -hmm. As you go west of the UK, it seems to become stronger and become more natural. As you go east, it actually gets weaker, but Mm -hmm. the habit of being humble gets stronger. Um, And so what you find is that there are cultural norms around these habits, that in some cultures, certain habits have have been um, more uh, aggressively developed, if you like, and in others, they're a little bit underdeveloped. I think all the habits are still relevant, but you have to just understand some of the nuances that might be at play in your market, in your country, and in, in, you know, in the particular cultural environment that you're working in.
0: Mm. So, just one quick one on this before we move on. Actually, said so you spoke about different cultures across the world, which I think is an excellent point. And I once heard—I'm talking about my MBA a lot today. I think it's on my MBA when we actually it was said in a large organization, you can quite often get very different cultures across the different divisions. So in your experience, how does an organization deal with, for example, using these habits, let's say let's choose an evangelizing team, you know, the sales team, versus let's say the accountancy team? I can choose that because that's my, my area of, of expertise. So how does it land with different departments in the way that it that it holds together as an organization, if that makes sense?
1: Yeah, you, again, the culture of a of an accountancy department typically. Is going to be less evangelical than the culture of a sales department. You're, you're more naturally going to um, attract the evangelists into the sales function because it's what they it's what mm-hmm. they love doing and, they, and they're good at it. And then you're going to attract, um, you know, for, for example, the habit of consistency um, is going to be a, a stronger habit in the accountancy function. So you are going to at- attract different personality profiles into these different functions, and they are going to be. Naturally, better at some habits than others. One of the things we talk about, you know, at the, at the top team level is making sure that you've got the balance and you've got all the bases covered and that, you know, that, that you have um, a champion around the table for each habit because it is the balance and the holistic uh, integration of these habits across a culture that is going to make it successful in a sustainable way over a period of time. And we've all probably seen and worked in organizations where maybe the consistency of the accounting function took over the whole organization, or the evangelism of the sales function took over the whole organization. And we and we know that leads to, you know, negative consequences. So it's it, all the time. I think we're reinforcing balance uh, and the, and the holistic appreciation of the total model as being one of the keys. You know that we want to hear conversations going on in businesses about. Uh, looking at the the picture of all the habits and trying to weigh up different habits for different situations rather than um, the whole culture being hijacked by one or two habits at the exclusion of the other habits in the model.
0: Mm, Great I've got real sense there of you know if I'm talking about a leadership team of really honoring the habits and honoring the expression of those habits in different individuals which leads us beautifully in the next part because we've got a part here it says that um, we've touched on it maybe, but how does the, um, the habit of choosing to evangelise, evangelize, how does this habit work alongside the other habits in the model?
1: Yeah, I think we mentioned um, it sits next door to choosing to be humble, and I think that's a very important dynamic for people to to, to think about how they, how they do both. Um, I think the coaching habit, habit number two, when we were listening to Fiona talking about evangelising on, you know, on the work of other people, that's that's also part of a coaching skill is to encourage others um, and, and to, to focus on, you know, the things that are going well and the things that people are getting right is, is a great coaching skill. And I think the final habit I, w- I would mention would be habit number eight, the one that we'll talk about in the next podcast, the habit of bravery. that great evangelists, you know, have a vision because it's a vision. It's not yet real today. And it's brave to put out a vision that nobody knows is going to be a fact. Nobody can say it's definitely going to happen. But somebody decides that, that the, the prospect of that vision is sufficiently exciting that they're willing to commit to it and to lead other people towards it. And I think that takes bravery and courage to, to aspire to that and to dare to dream um, that there are better places to get to than the one that we're actually at today.
0: Mm, I'm really so apt for these these times, John. Mm, so for people listening and watching, um, how can they get further resources and hands-on experience of this habit choosing to evangelise? What and where would you point them to?
1: Yeah, I have mentioned um, Simon Sinek, Start With Why. I think very, very popular uh, book. Um, there's a TED Talk, um, which I think has been watched by 34 million people around the globe. So, you know, there must be something good about that and and it's 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 a great model um the golden circle that uh simon Sinek talks about and i think it's a great example of the power of of evangelism um i've also mentioned guy kawasaki i think he he actually calls himself i think his job title was chief evangelist um in the organization that he works in and he's written an article if people you know want to grab an article for a quicker read then his article in harvard business review the art of evangelism is also a great read. So Guy Kawasaki, Simon Sinek are, are two uh, people I would, I would name check around this habit. And I think also um, you can learn a lot about this habit, I think, from reading about um, people who, who, have, who have done it well. For example, I've just finished reading um, the book um, Promise Me Dad by Joe Biden. Um, and in reading that book, um, it really comes through um, I think Joe Biden models a lot of the habits, um, and it's interesting that yeah, in, in that book he, he models a lot of the the habits of, of evangelism. In that book, and I think just reading the stories of people who have done this well, it, it does inspire you around the the habits. So I would I would encourage people to look for role models of people who are doing this well, um, whether those are you know famous people that they can read about, or it might just be somebody in your own organization that that seems to have a a knack of uh of being positive of inspiring other people and just starting to watch you know what what do they do what do they say what do they not say and um i think this is a habit you can pick up from others a great deal in terms of uh watching how they uh, do this well
0: now we move on to the bit actually about when perhaps it doesn't go so well We've spoken about the, the habit choosing to evangelize, and, and we've really heard how it's been grounded in your research, and we've heard how executives like Fiona have used it and the impact it's had on the, her organization. Now, something I really love about your book is you have a chapter called Cracks in the Pillar, What to Do When Something Goes Wrong, which is gritty, gritty, grounded realism for me. So looking at the habit choosing to evangelize, what can an organization do when this habit goes wrong? Yeah,
1: I think this habit is different to the others in as much that we talk about cracks in the pillar. And, you know, if you're dishonest, I think that the crack in the pillar can be very deep and very obvious very quickly. Whereas evangelism to me, when it goes wrong, it's more like a hairline crack. It's more like death by a thousand cuts. I think I think people lose their mojo and lose that enthusiasm, inspiration, not overnight, but it sort of decays. Over a period of time and I think that makes it quite hard to understand when you've lost it um, when you know when is that day when you suddenly lost that sparkle in your eye you lost that enthusiasm and uh, that uh, that loving what you do it can it can sneak away quite um, quietly over a period of time and so I think one of the things to protect people from that is is feedback you know getting feedback from the people around you your customers, um, your team, uh, your investors, um, getting feedback in terms of their perception of how you are coming over. You know, are you coming over with that spring in your step, with that sparkle in your eye, or has it has it gradually left the building? Um, and and I think uh, you know, so getting feedback is is important with this habit because you can lose it without knowing that you've lost it. And of course, if you realize that it has happened. And that for whatever reason, and I've seen this a lot in the pandemic, in lockdown, you know, I've worked with leaders who just have woken up one morning and realized that they didn't have that um, mojo. They'd lost their mojo somewhere in the middle of all this crisis. It had just left them. And and where do you, where do you go from there to rebuild it? One of the practical tips I would give people around that is, is tracking your motivation uh, on a more careful basis. So for example, I have some coaching clients who, who keep a daily log of their, of their motivational score. And they will start to realize that certain things lift them up and certain things drag them down. And once they become more aware of that on a daily, weekly basis, they can start to design their diaries more consciously to build in these um, bits of inspiration and bits of motivation. And it can be it can be, uh, silly little things, David. Like, you know, I, I have a client that, that realized that music was a huge part of their inspiration and motivation. And the days that they listen to music are the days that they find that they're more likely to be evangelizing. And so once you become aware of that, is it music? Is it going for a run first thing in the morning? Is it listening to that podcast that you know always seems to get to you and motivate you? I think it's our responsibility as leaders to consciously design our diaries such that we are getting that fuel and that nourishment That means that we are motivating ourselves and therefore able to motivate others through this habit of evangelism.
0: Mm, That's a really, and it's quite a, can perhaps be quite a tender one, John, because I'm sensing that sometimes the organization itself may still have this driving or really passionate purpose, but perhaps the leader or one of the executive teams has perhaps been through their own cycle and is no longer so connected to that purpose. And he may well bring up a sense of, you know, if I'm not able to choose to evangelise with a passion and ease over a period of time, it may be a trigger for them to think, do I need to choose, move on, not because the organisation is bad or they're bad, but, but because of something that's happened, that actually, to use that wonderful phrase, mojo, they need yeah. to get the mojo back. Yeah. And I think finally on this one, when things go wrong, what, what advice would you give to an executive who perhaps through, and I'll choose a, an example, I know I've done it myself, so I own it for myself, where perhaps you're doing a project, you're really passionate about it, and you're asking people to do things, it's going to be fantastic. And perhaps in the cold light of day, you reflect and think, Gosh, I was passionate, but actually, I was really a bit manipulative there, and I perhaps forced someone to do something they didn't want to do. You mention manipulation as being the opposite of evangelizing. So, how does someone recover when they think, "Oh, I think I might have been a bit manipulative there. wasn't intending to be, but that's that's the way I think it's come across."
1: Mm. Well, if you realize that you've been manipulative and 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 you're and you're ready to sort of uh, say, you know, actually, maybe that wasn't a great thing. I think that in itself is a huge step um, because I think there's a lot of manipulation that happens where people are completely blind to the fact that it's happened. Um, so if, if you're at that point where you think actually, yes, that was me, I, I did I did step over the line there into manipulation. I think the first thing to say is great that you're able to own that and, and uh, take responsibility for it. And, th- and then as, as we always say with this model, look look at the other habits and see how the other habits can help you being kind um, you know, could, could be a habit that would be really helpful in a situation where you thought you'd manipulated someone. Being honest and open to, to have that conversation. You know, are you brave enough to be able to actually say to the people affected that you realize in hindsight it might not have been the best way to have handled something? So I think these other habits can always come to your rescue. But the most important thing is the first step of saying, actually, have I got the awareness and am I getting mm. the feedback that allows me to understand when I, when I have slipped up.
0: Mm, thank you. I'm sure a few bells are ringing with the people there, whether it's 360 feedback, whether they're doing self-awareness through emotional intelligence or whatever, those are all perhaps can give clues to and, and draw on the other, the other habits within the model to help them actually show up in the best possible way in the workplace. Now, John, we get to the part that I really love because this is it gives you the opportunity to go deeper. Um, Because we're going to ask why this habit matters to you. Um, And I know I always say, actually, you've spent a long time researching and developing this model. And I know how passionate you are personally about trust and, uh, and this particular habit, choosing to evangelize. So let's dive a little bit deeper here. Why does this habit matter personally to you? And as we said before, there are two levels for you. So yes, I am going to invite you to be vulnerable and explore both. So firstly, why is this habit really personally important to you?
1: Yeah, as a business leader in my business career, um, you know, I'm reminded of that formula for um, performance that says performance equals motivation times ability times opportunity. You know, performance equals motivation times ability times opportunity. And I think in my career, I underestimated the importance of motivation. And it was only actually when I worked with elite sports people, that I started to understand how they consciously focused on their motivation and took responsibility for it and and also focused on helping others with that motivation. So I saw levels of, you know, when I worked with Olympic athletes and, uh, you know, I worked with the England cricket uh, coach for a period of time, the world of sport showed me a completely different level of motivation and the importance of motivation. And I think that influenced me a lot in terms of recognizing that you can't take your motivation for granted. I remember going on a, on a course um, a few years ago, and at the beginning of the week, they said, you know, how, how motivated do you think you are on a scale of 0 to 10? And I said, well, 8, you know. By the end of the week, I realized that I got the scale completely wrong and that I should have said 4 because the extra motivation that that, that course drew out of me absolutely astounded me and it just made me realize that most of us are operating at levels of motivation that that in the world of elite sport you you just wouldn't tolerate um so that that's one aspect of why it's important to me david and then and i suppose the other aspect that we that we talk about on this podcast is that um you know as someone with a christian faith then you know obviously evangelism uh that is where the, the the religious sort of word Um, hits home and 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 we we do find some of the great evangelists in the world's great religions and if i think of uh, the christian religion then it's the apostle paul to me is the absolute epitome of the greatest evangelist you know i have ever sort of read about or known about um you know the fact that that paul the apostle who originally was was the, the, the 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 scourge of the christian faith mm. uh, and then through his conversion became the greatest apostle um, and an evangelist for christianity and you know his ability to withstand uh, setbacks and disappointments and hardship i mean most of the new testament that he wrote he wrote from from a prison cell and and not even a prison cell and the persecution by the roman authorities could keep him down you know not even a prison cell could silence him and uh he knew that he was probably going to be sent to his death for what he believed in but because of his absolute inspiration and faith and excitement about you know his vision it didn't stop him and i love that bit you know in in uh, 2 timothy um book that paul wrote you know chapter 4 verse 7 where he says at the end he says anticipating the end and he says i have fought the good fight um i have finished the race I have kept the faith. And you you can just imagine the whole crowd cheering at that point. It's like we all want to cheer at that point because he did finish the race, he did fight the good faith, and he did keep the faith. Mm. What a wonderful, wonderful evangelist, um, you know, and I'm sure there are other equally inspiring examples in the the great faith of the world.
0: Mm. I love that. And I'm also thinking, actually, this aspect of choosing to evangelize i love how you spoke about uh, the motivation in the sports and quite often as you said it can be actually holding on to that vision sometimes in very desperate and difficult times because i can often think we know no, Paul didn't always have it easy but you know looking at, at jesus i just get the sense and uh, is there in the gospels that at times it was plainly it was really hard But the way he kept on, you know, actually, I think, saying to disciples, you know, well, the kingdom of God is here and now. He gave them a real, real powerful vision and linked that into, you know, asking them, how are you loving yourself? How are you loving your neighbor? And and these practical things, I think, you know, quite often said, you know, and they're out walking. And, And again, no doubt they would have been worried, anxious, concerned, tired you know and he gives the example doesn't he of consider the lilies how are they looked after and don't you think you will be looked after too so i think the sense of quite often we think in you know christian faith evangelism is oh the tell you have to accept this that and the other and this dogma but from a practical embodied sense i just get a sense of jesus really being with the disciples as you said really like that sports example firing them up in a way that they're like yes absolutely this is why i'm here
1: yeah and i mean can you imagine if how great an evangelist you must be if you just walked up to somebody uh, on the beach, uh, a fisherman, and just looked them in the eye and said, follow me. And then they followed you. Yeah. I mean, what is going on there? I mean, how, what, what on earth is happening in that moment? Um, but that was the power of, um, you know, I remember, that, I remember people talked about Steve Jobs and um, they used to say that he was such a great evangelist, Steve Jobs, that he had around him a reality distortion field. And if you got too close to him, you started to think the way that he thought and you started to see the way that he thought. And I'm thinking Steve Jobs had that reality distortion field. Well, someone like Jesus had that times, you know, a thousand. He he, he had a reality distortion field around him, which meant that if you came into the orbit of that Mm -hmm. vision and that presence, then you couldn't help but be um, excited and consumed and inspired by. By a vision. and uh is steve jobs undoubtedly a fantastic evangelist in business and we can see that you know we, we only have to sort of see those examples those worldly examples to know to know the power that it can have on a business over a period of time or, or a group of people over a period of time
0: yes absolutely and also something i i hadn't thought of before in connection with this but and choosing to evangelize but you brought it to me i think today because you were talking about particularly this pillar of benevolence you know concern for well-being of others then one aspect of that and as we, we spoke didn't we about actually how you get in touch with um you know relate to the stakeholder first if i move away from language stakeholder I'm, what, the idea that's just come to me is You know, and I I was speaking before we came on the podcast, I've been to the Holy Land Jerusalem, I've been to the place where they believe, you know, the Sermon on the Mount was, but this sense of actually Jesus addressing these big crowds, one of the things, you know, feeding the 5,000, if you think of that, part of that was actually then taking care of those people, you know, are they hungry, what have they had to eat? Almost not just rehumanize the workplace, but rehumanize this sense of this gathering. Because I wonder at that time how many perhaps speakers may have got up and spoken for an hour, or two hours, and then disappeared. But here was Jesus asking them, What are, the, are they hungry? What do they need? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think you're right to link that to that wider benevolence um, aspect, that this is one habit as part of that wider benevolence. And we'll talk about those are the two habits, you know, being brave and being kind. Um, and that's where that compassion piece yes, comes yes. in, you know, that you, uh, you know, was Jesus a great speaker? Yes, he was, but was he also incredibly compassionate, um, to the people that, that were listening to him? Yes, he ticked that box as well. And, um, you know, that's where, you know, the mastery of, of, of all the habits in parallel is when you start to see, um, you know, unique, um, impact of those people.
0: Yes, and it it does share the news, actually, going back to a previous podcast when Fiona was talking about how when NHHL went into the COVID pandemic, how the employees went on furlough, a number did, but they chose to actually then ensure they were connected with and they were made to feel they were still part of the organization which for me is part of this kind of evangelist benevolence of actually having a concern for their well-being and i can just see those that were treated in that way just actually then sharing with others what a great place this is to work because actually although i'm not at work at the moment and i'm i'm in on furlough i'm still getting communication i'm still being involved i'm still excited coming back i'm motivated to get back so this, my goodness, this is very powerful, isn't it? This particular yeah. Hamlet, which I had not really realise.
1: Spreading the word, spreading the word. You know, I mean, we, we, again, we can use that phrase in a in a religious concept, context of spreading the word, but we we can use it in a business context that if you've got people spreading the word for you, then you you will build a following, and it will be done through many hands, making light work of that challenge, rather than one, you know, great pair of hands trying to do the whole thing mm. on their own um, so yeah very very infectious very uh, contagious if you can do this with the integrity and uh, uh, the consistency that it requires
0: and very as you said I'm coming back to that word very inspiring that actually i think you said earlier you're touching the hearts of those that are, that are with you perhaps on this journey in the organization for this purpose for this mission for what we're doing and it really does I think, I think it just it just has, you know, for organisations I've worked for where I've been motivated and enjoyed, there's a certain buzz about the place, there's a certain buzz between the people, there's a certain sense of, coming back to that word of pride, of excitement, of actually, I love coming to work, so it, it really is important. right And talking of motivating or buzz, um, we traditionally have, um, you, you've published a book coaching poetry from a spiritual path where it's where you say whatever your own religious beliefs these poems will challenge you to think deeply and inspire you to take the next step on your own spiritual path your leadership path so this is a point where i share you invite you to share one poem from your book which ties into this perspective of choosing to evangelize
1: yeah, great. Thanks for the challenge, uh, David. I've been looking through the book and there's a couple of poems that I narrowed it down to, but the one I've chosen to go for is this poem called Beyond the Bridge. Um, Beyond the Bridge. And uh, I think the title itself is, is, is giving you a clue that it's about looking um, into the future uh, and bridging uh, the present with the future. So uh, this is a... Um, uh, a, a poem that that's really um yeah anticipating where where are we going as a as a human race so it's you know it, it's sort of uh, quite vast in its in its scope um but i will share it with you in terms of that spirit of evangelism beyond the bridge lies the ocean majestic in its scope and depth beyond the bridge lies the final step the creational freedom of our dreams And though I dance with you, with the waves, though I feel the salty spray on my burning lips, I am also that which holds us, defines us in its all-encompassing embrace. Though I feel the movement of my earthly limbs, I am also humming with the joy of the absolute. I am that I am, the alpha, the omega, and all that's in between. So with this choice, we become the causal field, the creator and the creative, the architects of our world. With this choice, we bless ourselves and let go of the final threads. And as we leap high above the waves with the glee of our evolution, we mirror the steps of our predecessors, evolutionary strategists, all the insect, the fish, the amphibian, the reptile, the mammal, the human being. Beyond the bridge lies the truth, a new being waits to greet us. It is you and I and them. Beyond the bridge lies the truth, the great homecoming of man.
0: Wow. <laughs> just just so apt for our times, John. So beautiful, the sense of, um, as you said, beyond the, vid- the bridge. And the creator, such a beautiful, active word, I think, that actually not just people, not just choosing the habits, but actually choosing to create perhaps this world that we that we're really perhaps yearning to see beyond the, the pandemic. And one word you had in there, which has really touched me on my own journey, particularly around Celtic Christianity, and that's, I think you, you chose the word bless, or I might say blessing. And one thing I, I love about the blessing is they quite often say, if you're busy blessing or you're blessing someone else, you can't be blessing and cursing someone at the same time. So I think this word blessing has this wonderful energy for me, if you're blessing someone or choosing to do that, that actually ties in beautifully to to choosing to evangelize I think if you're choosing to evangelize you're looking to be a blessing and that really touches me so uh, thank you for sharing that I shall listen to that again I really enjoyed that great now after after the inspiration of the poem John it's part here actually that the people probably wondering gosh I really enjoyed this podcast where can I go what should I do to explore these nine habits can I Book a keynote or a workshop program, or sign up for a newsletter. Um, what can you offer people?
1: Yeah, the uh, the team here at the Trusted Executive Foundation, you know, it's, it's a, we're a not for profit. Um, as you said earlier, you know, our mission is to create a new standard of leadership defined by trustworthiness, and we have a Journey of Trust program that allows different leaders and organisations to engage with this work at whatever level they feel feel comfortable. That might be, as you say. Uh, a one-off keynote session, or it might extend to a, a program of leadership development over several months. We're 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 just keen to sort of make the the model available to share um, and build a community of leaders that all share again this vision that we feel now is the time for leaders to rely, rely on the power of trust. You know that is our good news, and we're we're inviting people to engage with that and uh, to be part of this community that um, wants to work this model and embed it in organizations in the same way that Fiona and the team mm-hmm. at NEHL uh, have done over recent years. So so I think, um, you know, if, if any of that is exciting um, and uh, attractive for our, our listeners, um, then the best port of call is to go to the, the website www.trustexecutive.com. Uh, to read about the journey of trust, read the case studies about how we work with different clients and, uh, you know, just weigh up whether, you know, that's a community of people that you, you want to be part of and, and, and you want to be part of uh, creating this, this future where we have a more trustworthy standard of leadership in and across our institutions.
0: Mm, wonderful. I know you call it an invitational model. So you're inviting people in. And I think you said before, you're happy for people to reach out and, connect with you on LinkedIn, which, yep, which I'll sure. pull link in below. And I would encourage people to have a look at, and there's now a second edition book out on the the Trusted Executive by John, John Blake. You have a, you know, find that from your your own chosen book, book shop. But more importantly, just actually do some follow-up because there's some fantastic resources. And as you said, John, if it resonates with you, please do. You know, decide. to take it a step further, because I think for me, this is one of the uh, trusted executive uh, model is one of these models that can really make a difference in your organization. So if you're finding that you're connecting with the material, then please do reach out to John and the team. So goodness, John. So thank you once again for the way that you're stepping out in the business world with a real heart and a real passion for supporting businesses and organizations to be the very best they can be. So I invite you to say a few closing words to those who are listening.
1: Yeah, as always, thank you for listening um, and uh, and sticking with it. If you if you've listened to all seven and you're up to the seventh habit, then that's fantastic. Um, we've got two more habits to go: be brave and be kind. And I think uh, you know my my advice in terms of this habit, um, the evangelized habit, um, is really to think about. Um, You know, the phrase I use is courageous goals. You know, what are your courageous goals and uh, what is the breadth of your courageous goals? Does it cover both your business, your personal life and your wider contribution uh, back into uh, society? Because that's the the breadth and depth of goals that really makes for great evangelists. And um, it's always inspiring to work with leaders who've got clarity around those different aspects of why their why, you know, across all of those three areas. So I encourage you, if you if you haven't got that, then that would be something I would uh, really encourage as a next step in uh, building uh, this habit of evangelism. Mm,
0: wonderful. Thank you, John. I'm already looking forward to the next habit, habit number eight, which is choosing to be brave. So until next time, may you all have a wonderful day.
1: Thanks, David.